I don't think you understand how lonely and isolating this is. And I need my dad. And, you know, can you just be my dad? You can be my mom's ex-husband a different day, but can you be my dad today? Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 119. Thank you so much if you've ever come on the show and shared your story. I appreciate it so much. You are a brave soul if you have come on. And I currently have about 45 people on the waiting list. And I get to these stories at about one person per week. So I will go ahead and get to you. It just may take some time. If you are a listener or a lurker to this podcast and you appreciate what you are hearing and all the brave souls that come on, would you please leave a rating or a review? In whatever podcast platform you're currently on, there should be a place where you could pick a star. Pick one through five, whatever you feel, honestly. And leave us a little rating or review. It helps people who have just found out they are an NPE and they are furiously Googling and searching and trying to find resources. It helps direct them to this tiny little podcast. So thank you so much in advance if you are willing to do that. And on this podcast, we speak with NPEs that have found out a shocking DNA discovery usually finding out that one or both of their parents are not who they thought they were. We also speak with donor-conceived individuals who found out late in life that their parents weren't biologically related to them, as well as late-discovery adoptees. All of these stories are incredibly shocking, sometimes traumatic, sometimes heartwarming. It really just depends on their story. And every NPE comes on, they give a little bit of background, They share how they found out and what life has been like since finding out. And today I'm going to be speaking with an NPE, at least I believe it's an NPE. Today I am speaking with Christina. Hi, Christina. Hi, Lily. Are you an NPE? I forgot to ask you that. Yes. Okay. Yes, I found out in 2020 that I am an NPE. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share your story today. You're very welcome. I'm really excited to be here and be able to tell my story. You're so sweet. You even offered to provide editing and other sort of service work for the podcast. I And thank you. I'm, I'm overwhelmed at times. So thank you for providing a little bit of your expertise as well to this. You're very welcome. All right, Miss Christina, we're going to listen to your story today. Typically, they start with your family of origin. I'll let you choose how you want to start. And I'm just going to kind of pass it over to you. Thank you. So um, if I had to come up with like one keyword that would describe my childhood would absolutely be chaos. I grew up in a family of addiction and I felt very loved growing up. I actually didn't really understand I was in a family of addiction until my mom got sober and started taking us to meetings, right? I grew up also in a pretty large family. I was the oldest of five kids, and my mom and my dad had all five of us within eight years. So right around when I turned eight, um, my dad had actually uh, gotten sober first, but just didn't sustain it very long. My mom ended up getting sober uh, when I was about eight, and she's been sober uh, for about 30, over 30 years now. So it was a very chaotic childhood, you know, to say the least. And I was really responsible a lot for my brothers. Um, I had four younger brothers under me. You know, looking back, we had some great times, but we probably had a few more, you know, bad times than good times. But, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't know that their 
family is different until they start to, you know, grow up a little bit. And I would say that was definitely the case for me. I will say that um, one of the other big kind of traumatic parts for me was that I knew I was definitely different than my family. I remember when I was eight, I had asked my mom if she was really sure if my dad was my dad. And looking back, I kind of, you know, don't know what prompted it. If you asked me a couple of years ago, it was because we went to my mom's friend's house and he owned a bar. His name was Ozzy and he owned a bar and he had a entertainment center and it was filled with stuff and we were poor. <laughs> and I wanted to have this like dad who had TVs and stereos and record players. And I just thought it was, you know, the life. And I, I remember thinking like, maybe there's a chance that this is, you know, could be my dad. Mm-hmm. But I really think think in the end, I knew something was up. And as I, you know, kind of grew into my body as a young girl, young woman, I was absolutely different. (laughs) Um, I was taller than both my parents. Um, My mom is would be could probably be described as petite. Uh, Same with my my dad is not a stocky person at all. He is, you know, five, five, 120, 130 pounds, just a thin guy. And so I am not any of those things. (laughs) Um, I am tall and fat. And, um, you know, I I learned to be okay with my body later in life. But as a teenager, I struggled with bulimia. Um, I ended up going for treatment for bulimia right after high school. And a lot of it was a struggle, like finding someone who looked like me, I felt so out of place. And I even like called myself a circus freak because, you know, I just felt like if you looked at my family, I was always the tallest one, the biggest one. You know, I had very large breasts. No one else in my family had large boobs. And it just was a very weird experience for me to grow up knowing that something's not right. And um, I thought I was being dramatic and I thought I had watched like um, Freaky Friday too much, you know, and like wanted, I just wanted a a dad or I wanted to be the princess. So I needed, you know, like someone to tell me that this was not my family, that like I was adopted. I really, these were things that I really kind of had hoped for, but Again, looking back, I just thought it was because I had this chaotic, addictive family. I didn't look like anybody. I had all these brothers and no sisters. You know, there are lots of reasons why I didn't belong. And none of them had to do with like questionable parentage. But I will tell you that when I was six, I found out that my dad had a daughter from a previous marriage. He and his wife had been estranged and he didn't have access to her. And so when I was six, I found out that I had a 12-year-old you know, half-sister. But in our family, we were absolutely not allowed to use that word. So she was my sister and we met and I just was so enamored by her. I thought she was so beautiful. You know, I'd always wanted this older sister. I had all these raggedy brothers and I was just so excited. I had this older sister, you know, and so, but we didn't live together. We, we grew up very separate lives. She kind of grew up in the suburbs with kind of an affluent family. Her mom, you know, was more affluent than my family. And, you know, we grew up, you know, pretty much on welfare most of my life. So, but we still maintain relationships for most of my life. So I'll fast forward in my story to about 99. And what the big thing that happened there was that I had met this boy and uh, fell in love and moved in with his mom, who was a genealogy researcher. And she helped me make my first family tree in 1999, back when things were on CDs and Um, She worked for the Census Bureau. And so 
we had access to really cool stuff. So she showed me how to make a family tree. And there were a lot of things that I didn't know about my dad's side of the family. And so um, I had started to ask him some questions, but nobody really knew a lot. And I didn't know who to ask at the time. I, I didn't have great relationships with every, you know, his grandparents, his great aunts and uncles. So I knew what questions we had, but I didn't know all the details. About 2009, about 10 years later, I ended up going to Italy. And while I was there, I didn't have the information that I felt I should have to like had the great experience, you know. Um, I ended up being in the right town, but I didn't know anything past that. So when I got back to the U.S., like that's when my passion turned into an obsession. Um, and I started doing so much genealogy stuff, started doing volunteer work for genealogy. Um, I, I didn't get a DNA test. I didn't get a DNA test until about 2014. Um, but when I got the test in 2014, nothing was out of the ordinary. Ethnically, it actually, the only thing ethnically that was surprising was that my mom's side of the family had always said we were Native American. Surprise, surprise, like most people who think they are Native American in America, we are not. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing out of the ordinary. And so it wasn't until about two years later, uh, 2016, that someone emailed me and said, hey, I think we're related. Do you want to figure out how? And I was like, yes, this will be fun. And um, I couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't figure it out for four years. And in the meantime, in those four years, I had helped three adopted people find their biological family. And so it just didn't make sense to me how I could help everybody else with their DNA and mine only made sense ethnically. It didn't actually make make actual sense when I tried to match with people on my dad's side of the family. And I was in a DNA detective group and it was one of those, you know, face group where people come in and they say, something's wrong with this test. And people say, DNA doesn't lie. DNA doesn't lie. DNA doesn't lie. <laughs> and it was just like... I don't know, these like little things just started to pop in my head that like, it, I, I, I have exhausted all resources. I'm kind of a brainiac and I'm kind of a um, analytical person to where I'm very resourceful. And if you give me a task, I will find a way to do it. And I was exhausting all options I had done. DNA painter, leads charts, you know, what are the odds? Nothing made sense. And I kept thinking, I'm doing it wrong, but how could I do it right for three other people, but not do it right for me, you know? So in 2020, I had a month off of work for a medical FMLA leave, and I knew I would have a lot of time on my hands, so I said... I am going to figure this out, you know, I am going to just put my pedal to the metal and put this mystery to bed. So I said, first thing I got to throw out every single thing I know, every name of everybody I know, and just go back to the data. And, um, and that's what I did. I started back from scratch, um, put out all the names, you know, uh, with, I, I put code names on them just so I wouldn't prejudice myself because I'm an idiot like that, I guess. And um, just tried to act like it was someone I didn't know. And how would I recreate this? And so that was June 2020. And by the end of June, I really knew something was off. And so um, it was 4th of July weekend. And I had called my mom because my mom knew my dad's family. And I wanted to float this idea past her. So I called my mom and I said, hey, mom, listen, um, I think I am not a Bavaro. And I think it's because my great grandma Bavaro cheated on my great grandfather Bavaro. And so I have this scenario. It may sound weird, but I have all these matches coming up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And you know, we're from Chicago. So I think like maybe there was like a traveling encyclopedia salesman <laughs> or a vacuum cleaner guy, right? And he's traveling and him and my grandma had an affair. 
And that's why I have these matches in Kenosha, Wisconsin that nobody else has. And really, I think all of us are, you know, not genetically who we think we are. And I asked my mom, you know, you met my my brother looked like my dad. My dad looked like my grandpa, but I had never met my grandpa, my great grandpa. And my mom did. She had actually lived with him in California. And I said, did he look like my dad? And she was like, yeah, why? Why are you asking this? I said, because, you know, do you ever hear this phrase? Um, Mama's babies, daddy's maybe like, again, maybe we're just not who we think we are. And she was just like, you know what? I got to go. I got to get off the phone. Um, And at the time she was living, you know, she had a bunch of kids around her. So I didn't think anything of it. And I just figured my mom didn't really want to hear about this anymore. So Mm. click, hang up and talk to you later. Um, It was my dad's side of the family too, right? So I don't don't know. I didn't think anything of it. And then... um, a couple of days later, it was that was Fourth of July weekend, so it was Tuesday. You know, we were off that Monday, and it was like the end of my day. And my mom is six hours away from me, and she calls and says, "Hey, what are you doing? I'm nothing." And she says, "I'm I'm parking," and I thought she was like parking where she was at, and she was like, "No, I'm downstairs," and I'm like downstairs where it just it didn't make any sense to me what she was talking about and she's like I just wanted to talk for a minute and then I look out the window and see her parking in front of my house and I was like what is she doing here you know this is bad this is very bad because my mom is not a casual person (laughs) she would never drive six hours and my first thought was like who is dead um and my aunt was in the in the hospital at the time and I, I knew that even if my aunt had died, my mom would call me. I just, what is it? Why is she here? And um, the funny part, and why I, I had mentioned my sister, is that July 4th weekend, my sister, the older half-sister, had moved in with me. And like I said, we had never lived together, um, but she... We were in the middle of the pandemic, you know, everybody's situation changed in the pandemic. And um, I asked if she would move, you know, to Kentucky. So um, she had moved in that weekend. And a couple of days later, my mom shows up. And so my mom, though, didn't want my sister to know, right? She was trying to keep this conversation kind of private. And so, um, she just kept playing like everything was fine. And so she came in the house. I had come, I was on the second floor, came downstairs before she came in the house. And I told my sister, something is very wrong. I don't know what it is, but, but she doesn't want to tell me. And, and something's, this is weird. This is very weird. So I let my mom in and I said, why don't we go sit back on the, on the back porch and just relax. I'm thinking maybe if we relax, she's going to tell me what's wrong. She's just acting cool. And so I, I'm going along with the dance and I tell her, hey, Ma, you know, let me tell you something funny. I was watching these videos last night of people who found out their dad isn't their dad. And this one girl found out that her dad is like a gay guy who wanted to have kids all his life and didn't. And he had like this big party with all his friends. And I'm like, Ma, that would be my ideal situation. And I was joking with her, like, you know, I find out some guy, you know, is my dad and his friends all wanted to have a kid his whole life. You know, just, it was a really funny, interesting story, I thought. And how how ironic it is looking back because at one point, my mom just says, hey, can we, can we go talk for a second? And it was almost like she just interrupted me. But at the same time, I knew there was this something coming. So I was like, yeah, let's go talk. Let's go talk. And we went upstairs uh, to my bedroom and I sat across from her and she just said, um, she said, you know, I have something I really am struggling to talk to tell you, but I wanted to be open with you and, you know, tell you that the reason why your DNA matches might not match the Bavaros is that there's a chance that Joe Bavaro is not your biological father. And I cannot explain to you how I immediately knew 
she was right. You know, it was like not even a question. It was like, that makes so much more sense, you know? And it's funny because I think the analytical competitive side of me was like, I was right before I realized the (laughs) emotional impact of like, your father's not your father. You know, it was like, yay, I won. Oh, wait, what what, what did I win here? Hold on. And, um, and so, you know, and I will tell you what I remember uh, of that conversation was a lot of wah, 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 you know, intercepted with a few questions and answers. But I do remember her trying to explain what happened, you know, and that basically <laughs> her and my dad were kind of on a break. My dad and her had broken up and she had moved from California with him back to Chicago. She had had a, you know, brief interlude with my biological father. And then my dad had come back from California and wanted to, you know, rekindle their romance. And she really wanted, you know, that to happen. And then she found out she was pregnant and she tried to tell my dad, but couldn't. And, you know, in the end, she really told me I wanted him to be your dad. I really truly at the time wanted him to be your dad. And so I just went along with the show. And, you know, I look at like, I was conceived in, you know, 77. Um, My parents were both addicts. The, uh, well, let's say all three of my parents were addicts and in drinking a lot. Um, You know, uh, they didn't really have a lot. My mom didn't have a lot of choices. I think, you know, we could look at the perspective, everybody's perspective, but as a woman, I think I have a lot of empathy for my mom in the situation. So I wasn't angry with her at first. And I told her that I said, you know, one thing I do want to tell you is that, that I, I can appreciate how brave you are telling me this, you know, like this is a secret she's kept for 44, I think I was 43 at the time. Um, you know, 43 years. And I'm, I, I appreciate that you are, you're willing to be honest with me now, you know? Um, and I told her that I reserve the right to be angry later, but right now I can't muster anger. You know, I was just kind of relieved to know because I knew things didn't make sense my whole life. And when she said, you know, your dad, might not be your biological father. It was like, well, of course, of course, you know, that makes so much more sense than this life I've been living that I had something off. That night when my mom had told me, I, you know, one of the first questions I do remember asking her was, actually, I don't even know if I asked her, she told me, I think she said, if it, if it's not, you know, if your biological father is not Joe Bavaro, then the only other person it could be is Joe Spaziri. And I I just, of course, love the fact that both of my fathers have the same exact first name. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I knew who Joe Spaziri was. I would tell anybody that The name absolutely is familiar to me for 18 different reasons, which I'll get into. But if I had seen him in a grocery store or something on the street, I would not know. He would look vaguely familiar, maybe. Um, I I might think I know him, you know. Um, But I grew up in Chicago where Chicago is actually like really big and very small at the same time. So it's not uncommon for me to be in a store and be like, I think I know that person. But I didn't know anything really more about him. And the funny part is, uh, well, let me back up the truck and say, I had seen the Spaziri name in my matches back in 2018, whatever, years ago. And my brother, his best friend is a guy named Bobby Spaziri. And I've known Bobby my whole entire life. So I called up Bobby and Bobby said, my uncle Chuck knows more about the family. Let me give you Chuck's number. I called Chuck. I had known Chuck since 1999 for another different, totally reason we won't get into. Um, I had actually helped him with his wife right before she had passed from uh, brain cancer. I'd helped them put together a website. So I had known them, but, but again, 
like not in that way. And so when I called Chuck, I had said, hey, Chuck, I think you're like great, great grandmother and my great, great grandmother were like cousins in the old country. That would make sense, you know, and I didn't know enough about DNA at the time to really understand how much closely we were related. Um, But I had seen his name in my matches. And so I just figured that was the logical thing and that we had gone way, way back. So when my mom said, well, your biological dad is Joe Spaziri, it was like, or it could be Joe Spaziri. I was like, ha ha, it absolutely is. There's no could be. And so that night I had said, you know, can we look, can we do some Facebook stalking? So she had showed me Joe's picture on Facebook. And when she showed me Joe's picture, I said, wait, isn't that Chuck? Because I'd been talking to Chuck for like two years. And when you had thought what, when I had tried to think of what picture I saw in my head, it was Chuck's, it's kind of confusing the way to say it, but I had thought I was thinking of a different person. And really, in my head, I had been talking to the picture of my dad the last couple years, but it was Chuck's voice. <laughs> but in my head, it was my dad's picture. And I had seen that picture because, again, I was friends with Bobby on Facebook. Um, Bobby is Joe's son and my half-brother. So ironically enough, this is why I said we are related on multiple different levels. Um, my biological father was my brother's best friend's dad. And we could get even on another level. My dad, um, his brother, my godfather, um, they, they, my godfather had been golf buddies with my biological dad for like 20 years. Um, Because again, I'm from Chicago, but this one neighborhood in Chicago where everybody knows everybody and you're separated by like two degrees of separation instead of the usual six. He was known to me and has been intertwined in my life uh, all throughout my life. And that was, I think, what, what was like the really shocking and beautiful part of it is that he actually knows both sides of my family. He knows my mom's side very well. He knows my dad's side very well, but we just didn't know each other. It's a very, 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 very small world. And um, that is why <laughs> when we first found out and confirmed things, we he had asked for an independent DNA test, which, you know, we, we, he was willing to do and we did it very quickly. So I found out on Tuesday, we called him on Wednesday. He was very awesome about it. At first, I told him that I didn't want anything but just to know the truth. And, you know, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I just wanted to to know more about my genetic makeup, if that was the case. And he was just like, hey, what are you talking about? I always wanted a daughter. Love is love. He was just like so... Mm he was really caring. He was very, very nice. And, you know, I just, I didn't, you know, know what to expect. And so I just tried to keep my expectations very low and hope for the best. Um, And so that was Wednesday. We both got DNA tested on Friday in our respective cities. And then we had the results by the following Tuesday. And I know it's insane to think that, you know, from finding out to knowing um, con, you know, DNA wise within a week, um, is really unheard of in, in the NPE community. And that's why I feel like incredibly grateful. And I feel like I know that, um, this was kind of weirdly to say meant to be because, you know, once I knew everything just fell really into place, you know, um, and then I, I I had moved to Louisville, Kentucky in 2019 or so. So we he still was in Chicago. And, um, you know, I made plans to meet him in July. But in the meantime, I did have to decide on, we kind of, so once we found out, um, I had told him like, this made perfect sense to me. So I, I feel like I'm not as shocked. I'm shocked. Don't get me wrong. I'm totally shocked. But it makes sense. I feel like the world has been preparing me for this moment for a really long time. But you maybe not 
did not get the same preparation. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't want to tell anybody, I would understand that. If you, um, you know, what, whatever capacity you're willing to do, like, think about it, you know, and when you're ready, let me know, you know, but, but let's not tell anybody yet because, you know, I just knew it would get out like wildfire, even though my dad lives in Phoenix, this was in Chicago and I was in Louisville, it would take about 77 seconds um, for it to get back to my dad. So, so we waited a week and then, you know, he called me and we just had an open conversation and he said that he did want to tell his family. And so I just asked if he could give me the benefit of telling my dad first I called my dad and I will tell you that I had a couple weeks to prepare, you know, for this conversation because I kind of knew the first night. And so I had asked my mom, my mom, my mom, I should also say my mom was incredibly supportive and willing to take as much responsibility as needed. She told me that, you know, she would do whatever I wanted, whether it was to keep a secret, tell everybody, not tell anybody, um, you know, she would support me. And if I I had asked her to call um, my biological dad, and she did, she was the one that in initiated the call. She was the one that told him. And um, I was there for that, for that call and eventually got on the phone. So I appreciate that she did that. But I asked to tell my dad. I just knew it would come coming from me, it would be a, a softer of a blow. And I think I was still trying to control everything at that time too. Um, and so I had taken two weeks and I had prepared this speech, you know, and I said, all right, dad, like this is, this is, I had, had it all laid out. I tried to think like, did he actually know? That was the big question. Did he know? Did he have any ideas? And I had talked to my um, my older sister. And so going back to how we met, when I was six, she was 12. And about when she was 13, 12 or 13, we all went on a family vacation. Her, my, my dad, my brothers, my mom, a bunch of people. I wouldn't even be surprised if my biological dad was there, but that's a different story. So um, we were at this thing and my sister says she absolutely remembers my dad drinking and being being drunk and pointing to me and saying something like see she's not even my daughter and there had also been some rumors started by my dad's sister who who passed years ago from brain cancer that um years ago that sh that I was not my dad's biological daughter that I didn't look like my dad and all this other stuff but my dad was a you know pretty mm, Oh, what's the word to describe him? Curmudgeonous. <laughs> he did not hesitate telling people what was on his mind. And he basically told everybody when I was a baby, like, this is my daughter. Don't, don't talk bad. Don't say anything about it. I don't want to hear it. And, and I think everybody kind of knew to not say anything, but I also know my dad drank a lot. And I think that he stuffed the knowledge of it down pretty bad. Um, or pretty deep. I know that he loved me. I know that he loved me a lot. And so I think that, you know, love is a really powerful emotion. And whether he knew or didn't know, I think he chose, you know, to be my dad. And I think that is kind of the most beautiful part about all of this. So, but I knew I was going to have a hard time telling him. Um, he's, he, he is not the, type of person to temper his reaction to things. And my dad's been sober about 10 years, so he's definitely a different person. But, um, you know, he is not known for holding his tongue by any stretch. Mm -hmm. So um, so when I told him, he, he was shocked, but cracked some jokes about it, seemed okay with things. And then... Um, and and said that it was okay, you know, that he loved me and and I loved him. And I told him that, you know, I never wanted to be a Bavaro more than I did now. And that, you know, I I couldn't imagine even like thinking about another person being my dad, because it's just 
it's just weird. I didn't even see that coming, you know. Um, even though my, t- <laughs> I have always joked that I don't look anything like my dad. You know, I knew I never looked like my dad. It just never occurred to me that I was not his biological daughter. I called and told all of my brothers, but still wanted to control the message a lot. And it did not go the way that I expected. And my dad ended up really, I guess, having a hard time with it after he had some time to sit and marinate about it. He kind of asked everybody to give him a couple days. I think the hard part about my dad and a lot of people with kids and parents know this is that there's one dad and there's five of us, six of us. And so I think everybody was calling him and it just got a lot and he needed a break. And it was really hard for me to see him struggle with the news. Um, And so I basically had decided I needed to go see him, but we were in the middle of COVID. This is this, you know, summer of 2020, no vaccines. Um, And my dad is has really fragile lungs from being a lifetime smoker. So I had to really go to great lengths to see him. So I live in Kentucky. I drove to Phoenix. I quarantined for 10 days in a cabin in the desert, went and got my COVID test, um, went and saw him. And um, I was supposed to have a week with him. And I (laughs) waited until the day before I was supposed to leave, um, before I brought it up. I just acted like nothing was wrong. And I was just in town for a little short visit. I remember, you know, texting a bunch of my friends and even talking to my therapist in the parking lot of his apartment saying like, I can't believe I went to all these great lengths and I might leave here without talking to him about it because I'm chicken shit. And I just knew I had too. And I will tell you one of the blessings of it was that on the trip over the, you know, 24 hours on the road that that trip was, I listened to Brene Brown's Power of Vulnerability twice. I am not good with conflict. I I, I avoided it at all costs. Um, but I had decided to, to sit with her with this, you know, and be vulnerable and talk to my dad about it. And the other thing I had uh, listened to was um, Glennon Doyle, um, Untamed. And so I kept doing the, you know, we can do hard things mantra was coming up a lot for me. And so I, you know, went to my dad's and I finally got the nerve to just say, hey, you know, can we talk about this? I know it's going to be really tough. And the first part of the conversation, I think he thought I wanted to defend my mom. And I told him that, that, you know, his feelings about this, you know, with him and my mom were, were him and my mom's business that really had nothing to do with me. And that, you know, he had every right to be angry. I'm not asking him to not be angry at my mom. That's my mom's responsibility, though. That is not my responsibility. Um, My mom made that clear that she was willing to deal with my dad on that level. But I, I needed him to be my dad. And that's what I asked him for. And I just straight up said, like, I, I don't think you understand how lonely and isolating this is. And, um, I need my dad. And, you know, can you just be my dad? You know, you can be my mom's ex-husband a different day, but can you be my dad today? You know, and he just crumpled, you know, he just cried and sat next to me and held me. And, um, you know, my dad is a smaller person than me. So, you know, but it felt good to just be able to kind of collapse, be a daughter for a minute that needed a dad. And I don't think we've had that since I was a teenager, you know, so, and he went instantly into dad mode and was like, whatever you need, I will be there for you. If you're alone in this, you can call me every single day. You want me to call you every day? I'll call you every single day. And I told him that on one level, I wanted him to know that I loved him so much and that 
nothing would change as as far as like who he was in my life. You know, even driving to Phoenix, he taught me how to drive. He taught me every let righty, lefty, Lucy, righty, tighty, lefty, Lucy. He taught me, you know, um, he was a HVAC guy. So everything about mechanics, um, fixing houses, anything I learned from my dad, you know, and that was never going to change. Um, but I needed to understand this new part of my life in a very big way that I didn't expect in the beginning. You know, when I found out, I thought I could do this whole, I don't need to know you. I just want to know medical information, you know, but it quickly grew. It quickly grew to wanting to get to know this biological family. And so I told my dad, like, respectfully, I want to ask for your permission, but you and I both know I'm going to do what I want in the end. Um, Not because I don't love you to death, but because I can't not pursue this, but I really want your permission, you know, and I want you to know it's not because I'm lacking something. It's just that I need more, you know, and he was such a gracious person in a way that I kind of didn't expect. And he said something really beautiful to me that, um, you know, raising me, he knew that I always struggled with loving myself. And my dad has been trying to tell me to love myself my entire life. And, you know, even though I, I've always been fat, my dad has never been uh critical about my body. And, and I always thought that was a cool gift. Um, cause I know a lot of people don't get that same thing, but my dad's always been a really loving force. And so he said, like, if this helps you love yourself, then absolutely you have my permission, you know, and don't worry about me or, or how I feel you worry about you. And, um, what a, what a gift, you know, what a gift. And I really was surprised. Um, I didn't expect that. And so I was able to move forward knowing that my dad, and it was funny too, because we also had a conversation about fears and my dad said, you know, we were estranged at different parts in my life. And, um, I've always, told my dad if I'm not happy with something he did, which we've had a few fights in, in, in our days. And um, he told me that he kind of was afraid that this was going to give me reason to ditch him for life. And I told him, like, I, I guess I think I thought that would be the case too, right? Like if you had asked me, man, if you found this out, would you still talk to your dad? I think I would tell you before, oh, I don't know. But the truth is, the moment I found out I wanted a connection with my dad who raised me more than ever, you know, um, and, it, and it grew in a really cool way. And and when you think about it, and this is what I had told him, too, that I was really happy when I went to Italy because it gave me a chance to talk to him about his family and it gave me a reason to grow closer to him. And I was really building out this tree. A lot of it was a good reason to call my dad. And it's really ironic that we grew closer while I was building this family tree only to find out at the end of the road that biologically I was not a Bavaro, you know, but, um, but but I didn't want that to change things between us, you know. And so I I bought him a little keychain that says I choose you, because um, I told him like even if you know biologically you're not my father, I I choose you, you know. You're st- I, I I still want you to be my dad, and I think that made a big difference for our relationship. Mm, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we still talk about it. I I've been able to be somewhat open with him. I I try to be kind, you know, and not like talk about it all the time, but he knows that I have, you know, uh, had a relationship with my, my DNA dad, as I like to call him sometimes. And that's gone really well too. So I think that's the other, um, you know, if you, if you talk about 
how things have gone for me since finding out once I got over the initial hurdle. I mean, I think I cried every day for, I know, a solid three months, if not nine months. Um, Cried every single day. Um, Because there was a lot of ups and downs to it. But I think the really good part is I came from a family of misattributed parentage to begin with. In my dad's family, there was some misattributed parentage. Um, And so everybody in my family, we had already decided long before me that that you get to choose your family, you know, and, and people will come into your family and they're still part of their family, whether you're blood or not. So I didn't feel like things would change between like, say me and my dad's cousins or my dad's side of the family. Um, mostly because I wasn't going to give them the option. (laughs) Um, they're stuck with me whether they like it or not. Um, I I feel like I put in my time as a Bavaro. So I'm staying a Bavaro. I just also get the lucky privilege of also being a Spaziri. And it's been a real joy to learn about that side of my family, you know, who I really am. Do you have a relationship with your half-brother, Bobby? Yeah, um, we t- we chat a lot. Yes, it's been really interesting to see how my brothers have got along as well. Um, you know, my 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 brothers have a funny story. Here's a funny story for you. Uh, like I said, I I come from some uh, ran ran hard scrabble South Side families. And my brothers in their 20s both had their fair share of bar fights. And so my half brothers, I got two new half, two new half brothers, Bobby and then Timmy. Bobby and Timmy were in a bar fight and got arrested. And then two, three, three of my brothers were in a bar fight and got arrested. And they all Different bar fight, but they all ended up in court the same day. <laughs> like, this was meant to be on so many levels, you know? And um, so that's been interesting, too, like kind of seeing my families merge in a way. And um, I do get to talk to – I talk to my – my my DNA dad probably the most out of my new family members. I go back to Chicago to visit them pretty regularly. If there's anything, they include me in on it, which has been so kind. Um, I actually talked to Bobby's wife a little bit more than Bobby, but she has been a wonderful gift as well. My cousins have been great. My dad's siblings, my dad's cousins have been really amazingly welcoming. And I cannot thank them enough because I think for me, um, this whole DNA discovery gave me permission to accept myself. Um, I make so much sense now. There are parts about my personality, like me being talkative and me caring about politics and um, just different things about my life that makes so much more sense. And even how I look, my mom is my twin and I've known that, but I always said like, there is a part to my face that is not my mom and is not my dad. And I remember feeling like, I don't know why people think I look like my mom. It wasn't until my twenties that I really thought I looked like my mom, but to go your whole you know, zero through 20 thinking you don't look like anybody um, was real interesting. And so when I met my biological dad, it's really amazing how my zero to 20 photos look a lot more like him than you would have thought. Uh, Everybody has said, I'm my mom's twin my whole life. And then when you see pictures of me next to my biological dad, you're like, oh, no, he could almost like, I almost look more like my dad in some photos than I do my mom, you know? So it's just kind of (laughs) crazy when you rediscover who you are biologically, like that sense of 
belonging and wholeness that can happen. And I think that was, for me, the most beautiful part of this discovery was feeling whole in a way that I never did before. Mm. Yeah, that's so strange once you see family relation and resemblance, and then it's like there's a big aha moment. Yeah, and I wonder, too, sometimes, you know, just being a big girl in a small world, if my experience would have been the same way if like I was a small girl in a big family, right? Just the way our society is, you know, kind of fat phobic. A lot of times I, I feel like that aggravated it. Um, but seeing that I come from a family of stocky people um, or tall people, even just the tall people, (laughs) it just makes me feel so much more, I don't know, like I said, so much more whole. And, And there's a piece that comes with that that I don't think I had, you know, before. Yeah, yeah, really. One of the things that I do wanna say is that I struggled for a long time with regrets. And, you know, what if, what if, because, you know, what if I had had it known earlier? And really, as this whole discovery is kind of, I've seen so many layers of it. I know that I'm really glad I learned now. I think everybody involved is a little bit more mature now than maybe when I was born or when I was eight or when I was 20. And I think if I had known about this at any of those other times, it would not have turned out the way that it has, which has been really great, right? So I'm I am so glad that I got to be raised by as a Bavaro, you know. I am so glad that I have DNA Spaziri DNA. I am so glad that my mother is an O'Shea. You know, all of these things made me who I am and I wouldn't trade any of it for who I am today and for this really beautiful experience in the end. So, you know, to anybody else who's struggling with regret, I think you have to weigh the regret, the regret against, you know, what could have been different with different outcomes. And, you know, I don't know everybody's story out there, right? So I can't judge for everybody. But I just think for me and for a lot of people out there, I'm I'm glad it turned out exactly the way that it did. Christina, if people wanted to contact you, could they do that? Yeah, you could just do it through email. You could email me at cmb312 at Gmail. So Charlie Michael Bravo 312 at gmail.com. I'll put those in the show notes. And Christina, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. I can just, I can feel the gratitude. I'm glad your parents are the way they are and that this, this played out for you. Well, the way that it played out. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Lily. I really appreciate this platform and the ability to, you know, kind of tell everybody your story the way you want it be told. Thank you. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Mm-hmm.